that technology just makes the menial uh, tasks that much quicker, that much easier, but there still needs to be oversight to ensure that the output is actually relevant for, for, for the client situation. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. This year's marketing word of the year is artificial intelligence. Since the release of ChatGPT and the focus on generative AI, the industry has been abuzz with opinion and discussion on the impact it'll have on marketing, media and advertising. But one area that has been overlooked is the way AI will potentially change the way agencies will be paid for their services. Considering agencies have relied on a cost-based model based on resource hours, overhead and profit margins, the rise, of, the rise of AI automation and generative AI may have a huge impact on these fees. Who better to discuss the potential impact on agency fees than Trinity P3's own financial expert, the commercially savvy, hands-on finance director with more than two decades of experience managing the finances of media, creative, PR agencies and more, Nick Hand. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Darren. Good to see you again. Now, look, I have to confirm for everyone that's listening to this that you are actually a human being, but I'm not having a conversation with a, a chatbot. Is that correct? I, it, it absolutely is correct. Uh, disappointing that you probably had to make that caveat, but uh, they're the times we're living. <laughs> and uh, could you please also confirm that I'm a human being as well? Yes, I can confirm flesh and blood. Okay. Now, look, it is interesting because it feels like everyone's talking about AI. In fact, in a recent uh, pitch that uh, I was party managing, uh, every single agency, media, creative, and, and everything uh, in between, was talking about AI, AI, AI. It really has become sort of uh, synonymous with the industry, isn't it? Yeah, it has. And interestingly, because the industry does get a bad rap for not um, adopting technology uh, to the extent that other industries do. So the fact that um, they've various agencies have taken this and really run with it um, shows that it's, it's definitely flavor of a month. Well, I think it's uh, we have to be careful, though, because a lot of this could just be chat, couldn't it? Generated from chat GPT, possibly. <laughs> Look, I think it's still early days, isn't it? Um, you know, agencies have shown where they could use it, where they have been using it. Um, are those results and, and the output that's, that, that's being generated uh, going to be that much better than uh, what's been done previously? I still think it's too early to tell. Um, I think what is really interesting for me is how it might uh, not necessarily come up with uh, help come up with a great idea, but the the grunt work, the admin work, the boring, repetitive stuff behind the scenes, um, how that will get done and, and uh, improve agencies' productivity. That's what I want to discuss. And Nick, I think it's uh, it's interesting because we have to distinguish between what's called generative AI, which is the one that's generating text and, and images and, and video, you know, deep fakes and things like that, compared to what's been around for years, which is machine learning and the ability to automate quite mundane tasks. 
And I think this is probably the area that agencies could be held uh, to criticism of not embracing technology because yeah. it has been around a while, hasn't it? I think it? so, yes. Uh, I, I think you're exactly right that uh, the, the, the generative stuff, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail um, shortly, it's, it's the, the ability to uh, improve productivity in those back office functions, the, the menial jobs that uh, usually get farmed out to, to junior staff, um, how agencies will uh, do that work and how they get paid for that work, which is still valid and uh, important work, uh, analysing data, reporting, all that sort of thing still needs to be done. Um, how that uh, machine learning uh, will impact what agencies are doing in that space. Okay, so let's start with uh, perhaps media because media is one of those areas, you know, there's huge amounts of data coming in uh, from the various platforms, you know, from Meta, from uh, Alphabet or Google, you know. Um, the media agencies are now dealing with more data than ever before and yet we're still seeing a lot of media agencies using up quite a lot of human resources just collating that data into things like campaign reports or or updated reports. You'd think that, you know, in a world of technology, that that would be automated in most cases. And yet most of the companies I know that are promoting these automated systems find it really hard to get the agencies to embrace that. Yeah. Uh, there's probably two issues at play. And, and one, which is the main reason we're sitting down today, is well, how, as the agency, do I get then get paid for that work? Previously, I've been able to most often charge the people that are working on it by the hour uh, or whatever the arrangement is to deliver that work. Now I don't have those people doing that work. And so how I'm going to maintain my top line income if I can't find another way to charge for, as I said, what is necessary and, and valuable information that's uh, that's put into those reports. So I think that's a, a big issue there uh, and possibly the reason that uh, agencies haven't embraced the technology uh, as quickly as some other industries because uh, they're not sure under those old models uh, how they can actually get paid for that work. Well, I, you know, I know a, uh, an agent, a media agency CEO that was complaining on a very large client. They had four FTEs doing nothing but collating information, data, into reports. And I said, well, is that analysing the data? And they said, no, literally just getting all of the sources and actually putting it into a single report was, was taking four FTEs. Now, when you think about the traditional um, fee model, you take four FTEs, salary costs full-time, multiply it by your overhead factor and your profit margin, and that's a fairly good income stream, isn't it? It's a significant amount of money that needs to be replaced, uh, and that's what agencies are grappling with. I mean, uh, interestingly, those four FTEs, I wonder at what point they've uh, produced these reports, and no doubt handed them to the client for, uh, for, for their review, um, but more time could be spent if these reports are generated using technology to actually analyse the data. Um, and get some insights and lessons. Get, get some deeper insights into what yeah. the data is telling them rather than actually just spending the time putting it together. So, look, I think that's, that's the first way that agencies uh, can replace that income is well, let's have the technology do the, uh, the, the heavy lifting, but... The real value in agencies, as we know, is the, um, the the thinking and the intellectual property of the the 
senior practitioners in the business analysing those sorts of reports and coming up with insights and ideas as how they can make the, the, the next campaign better. Except that, you know, you often see, and particularly in media agencies, a vast number of relatively junior staff doing these quite mundane activities, you know. They're the ones that are paid relatively low amounts and getting billed out. I mean, it does go to the problem of the... The world has changed fundamentally because of technology and having a labour-based fee system doesn't actually stack up anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, You know, there will still need to be, as I just said, people uh, analysing what that uh, report says and trying to come up with some insights from it. Um, But the labour-based system still doesn't necessarily adequately remunerate for that part of the work. So... Uh, you know, ideally, we want to start moving away from the doing and start thinking about, well, how can agencies get paid better from what they actually produce mm. rather than the number of people or the work that's gone into whatever it is that the, uh, the output is. So then, okay, that opens up. If we're going to take the mundane away that allows us to then get people doing the analysis, there's also a level of artificial intelligence that is able to actually identify those insights. So it actually potentially replaces those people or at least helps speed up that process as well. Yeah, it'll speed it up. Uh, It potentially will provide deeper insights, but I don't think it replaces that analysis because... uh, you know, it, as I understand AI, and I think there is uh, some uh, significant confusion as to what these uh, systems can do, is that they are not critical thinkers. Simply, a whole bunch of information is loaded into these platforms, and and the uh, the, the technology is looking for patterns uh, from what's gone before to try and then predict an output based on the the new information that's come in. Uh, now, that's not necessarily going to make it right. So there still needs to be someone, uh, a human with experience, uh, overseeing that process to ensure that the information that that, that's then disseminated to the client, the insights that have been derived from this data, isn't just rubbish. So mm. there's still... Uh, the, the technology just makes the... In, in my mind, just makes the, the, the menial uh, tasks that much quicker, um, that much easier but there still needs to be oversight to ensure that the output is actually uh, relevant for, for, for the client situation. The other area um, beyond media, obviously, is creative. You know, and we've seen uh, in the last 20 years the, the amount of work being produced. You, know, you would obviously see it with the analysis you do based on scopes of work. That uh, and and not that you um, were working on it back in the early two thousands, but you know we were typically seeing around two hundred pieces of work for each brand. Now it can be many thousands of pieces of work, um, and yet budgets have actually not kept up with the explosion of uh, of demand in that scope of work. Production must be an area, and the automation of production must be an area that AI is having a huge impact as well. Oh, absolutely, and I think uh, a positive impact, as you say, the proliferation of the channels that need to be um, targeted, the proliferation of the uh, number of uh, bits of content that need to be made, um, 
Automation can certainly help with that. I think in this instance, though, again, you are not going to get the technology to come up with the, the, the big brand idea that a client is going place, to need yeah. in the first place. That still needs to come from, from humans. And I don't think you're going to get, uh, in most instances, uh, quality outputs of individual creative assets for all channels. Yeah. Uh, I think um, SMS um, messaging, um, email marketing, those sorts of things uh, I, I think could probably benefit from AI, but uh, I don't necessarily see that uh, you know, uh, a big piece of video content is, uh, is actually going to uh, be generated any more effectively um, or productively um, using AI. I, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong as I said, it's early stages, but um, from what I'm seeing, that's, uh, that there still needs to be uh, humans, creative directors, writers, art directors working on that and again overseeing anything that the uh, that the technology spits out to ensure that it's uh, it's not gibberish. Trinity P3. One of the things um, and it wasn't that long ago uh, a bank that we were working with moved to an output based model and it was interesting because the agency that they were using for their digital display apps uh, was charging quite a significant amount of money for producing the various uh, sizes that were needed. You know, there's seven standard sizes. And when we asked them why, they said, well, they were still doing them manually with uh, designers operating on, on uh, Macs and, and making up the sizes. And we said, well, it's now been automated. And they said, well, that's fine. But if we're not doing it, we can't get the client to pay for the technology that will do it without that. You know, going back to the the issue earlier about how do agencies negotiate from a labour-based model to actually still getting paid if something's being done by a piece of technology? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because not just because the individual, there's there's no human doing it, doesn't necessarily mean the cost to the agency is going to be any less. Because uh, as you say, someone's got to pay for the technology, whether you buy it or whether you uh, uh, licence it from a, from a third party. Generally, there's still a cost involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably uh, uh, not as significantly as expensive as, as a, a human being doing it. But if you mark up that cost in the traditional manner, overhead, profit margin, the income to the agency is going to be less. So uh, it really does open the, 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 the question on, well, what are the other models that we could potentially use? And how best to negotiate that into uh, the existing arrangement, given in, uh, bearing in mind that there's still going to be people involved, or how do we negotiate something completely new, start with a whole new model, start from scratch, uh, to make sure that the agency is still getting fairly remunerated for the work that they're doing, regardless of, of, of where the inputs are coming from, whether mm. it's a human doing it or whether it's the technology that's doing it. I think it's probably... Uh, you know, It'd be best, wouldn't it, if the agency w was proactive in that conversation rather than waiting for the client to uh, come forward with a suggestion because in most cases the client's looking for the lowest possible cost. What would you do as a finance director if you were confronted with here's an opportunity to automate something? How do you open the conversation with the client of moving from a labour-based system to perhaps a, a fee-based system? Look, I think like any negotiation, there's going to be the position that you want 
and there's got to be the position that the other party want, and generally you meet somewhere in the middle. Now, mm-hmm. I think agencies are reticent to do it because invariably there is going to be a reduction in their fee if, if, if all of a sudden you're taking out uh, some of those, usually it's a junior level workforce, mm-hmm. doing that um, grunt work and replacing that with the technology uh, even if there is a cost associated with the technology, um, you're potentially not going to be able to get as much money as you were under the old system. So the agencies are reticent to do it because they don't want to reduce their income. But at the same time, as you just said, the, the clients were always going to be interested in, well, can I get something uh, at less cost? So I think as a, a, an agency, you need to be then steering the conversation toward, well, what is the value of everything that we're doing versus the amount of money that's being paid to the agency for those services. Because at the moment, under the labour-based model, everything's of the same value. Okay, you've got different people doing different roles and they get charged out at different rates. But ultimately, that low value, I would call low value behind the scenes work, preparing the reports, crunching the numbers, uh, that is low value work to a client. What's of high value to a client in those instances is the insights and the uh, concepts, creative concepts. What and can ideas. be done with those ideas? That's the high value yeah. work. So potentially you're giving up money over here, but possibly being able to charge a little bit more for the high value work. And that's the that's the way that I would approach the conversation. Uh, yes, you may need to, as the agency, accept you aren't going to uh, get as much money. As I said, that's how a negotiation works. Anytime you uh, uh, you want to negotiate, you have to give up a little bit. They have to give up a little bit. It's it's interesting listening to you, Nick, because I'm hearing a inherent bias that's common in the industry, and that is agencies equate income with profit. Like the more money we get paid, the more profit we make which is a legacy of the cost-based system because here's our cost. We multiply it out for over. But in actual fact, technology and this type of automated automation opens up the possibility, yes, we may get paid less, but we could actually make more profit, that the two are not inextricably linked as they have been for, you know, as long as there's been a labour-based system in place. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? I think that's true. Uh, And and a lot of that comes down to how agencies are measured and a lot of them aren't necessarily concerned with uh, profit. It's the uh, the, the top line, the revenue growth, how much we charge, uh, how much we're invoicing, as you say, how much are we billing, Um, what's our revenue growth? We've added three clients and we've improved our top line by $5 million. But in actual fact, you haven't, that, that $5 million isn't profitable. Um, I, I, it's bizarre the, though, isn't the, it? The, the maths that I did in high school said that that's not what you should be uh, trying to do. You, you want to add $3 million uh, in revenue and add $2.5 million in profit if you can, not, uh, not maintain the same profit for, 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 for more income. It just doesn't make sense. But it is inherent, isn't it, in the traditional way that agencies think about money? Yeah. Is that it's it's great to add an extra, you know, millions and millions of dollars in income because that should naturally equate to profit. But in actual fact, you know, that's because they have a preferred overhead and profit multiple 
on their cost. They have. But if you turn it around and say, okay, well, what if we disconnect profit from revenue and look for ways of increasing profit while decreasing revenue? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to generalise here, but I've worked in uh, independent agencies, I've worked in multinationals, and that line of thinking that I want to uh, disconnect the income from the profit and, and make sure that I'm uh, anytime I'm adding income to the top line, it is going to be profitable. Tends to be uh, more of a focus in of the independent yeah. and and uh, working in the multinationals again. I don't want to generalise and, and tar them all with the same brush because it's not the case. I'm sure, but my experience is that you get tasked with top line growth. You must grow ten percent in this financial year regardless of whether you're coming from a high base or a low base. And so uh, you end up, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll put on 10% worth of revenue, but you do so at um, margins that don't add anything to your profit uh, simply because you've met that criteria uh, from uh, your head office to increase the top line, even if it's at the expense of the profit. You don't want to go backwards in profit, uh, but you certainly aren't necessarily rewarded for improving it. And that's why we've seen, you know, bizarre behaviour where agencies have been negotiating fees that can't possibly, you know, cover their costs because yeah. it still adds to the top line. In fact, I remember having uh, one agency CFO tell me, look, it doesn't matter that we won't make any money, just the overhead recovery is enough that profit's irrelevant, that, you know, we're covering our costs. And it's like, how can that be good business? And, and you know, you've just made the point because they're measured on top-line growth, not profitability. It's yeah. almost this belief that if we've got the money, if we've got the share of market, that's enough. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's counterintuitive to business, isn't it? Yeah. Because there wouldn't be many other businesses that think like yeah. that. Well, and... Let's be fair, most businesses, except, you know, some of the older service firms, and I'll put uh, advertising in that group, still cling to that cost recovery model yeah. um, rather than necessarily thinking about, uh, well, what is the, the, the uh, you buy a car, you don't buy a car on the basis of it's uh, been marked up a certain amount just so the, the, the uh, manufacturer can recover their costs. Yeah. No. The price is based on what they believe they can position and sell the car for in the particular marketplace that they're in. Mm. So, uh, you know, agencies really grapple with that, that problem. There's many out there that want to do it, but they're not quite sure how to go about doing that while still uh, checking all the boxes that they need to with their head office uh, to ensure that those metrics that they're being measured on are still met. Trinity P3. Now, you made a good point earlier, which is about this idea of, you know, it, it's share of revenue or wanting to maximise revenue, right? Agencies have also, particularly creative agencies or, or non-media agencies, have traditionally actually generated more revenue out of the doing than they have out of what we could call the thinking. You know, you said the point before, where the, the value could be in the, the strategic insights, the creative idea, and how that can be amplified. Yeah. But in actual fact, 
a lot of the fees, when you look at the analysis of where it goes and what it covers, is actually for the doing, isn't it? When I started in the industry all those years ago, production was king. So quite often we gave away the strategic thinking and much of the idea that, uh, that came off of that because we knew that we would make that up in the service fees that were charged on third-party production plus the cost for the, produ- uh, the, the revenue from the producer plus the revenue from the, the artists, uh, Mac artists. Uh, that's where the money was made. Mm. And that sort of legacy model has come back to bite many agencies because the conversation we're having now, but even before the prevalence of, of AI, uh, advertisers were uncoupling the production mm. from the creative, from the, str- from the strategy. And so uh, agencies were left trying to backfill a lot of that income that they were um, making from the doing and the implementation and still haven't quite figured out how best to do that yet. I think some are uh, certainly emphasising, uh, and this was what I was trying to do over my career, you've got to emphasise the idea and the thinking more, although it's generally still an hourly rate that you're charging, but to try and get the, try and have the client understand that uh, that is why you've been engaged by them, to come up with the thinking and the idea, not the doing. But previously, the model was all, as you say, focused on the doing, and it's really hard to uh, to separate those things. Well, because it's so much easier justifying the number of hours to do something. But you know, <laughs> at, 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 I was a, a copywriter. You know, well, how long does it take to come up with an idea? Yeah. How much budget have you got? <laughs> as, as, yeah, as, as long as possible. Yeah. If I'm getting paid uh, billed by the hour, you know, it could take months. Yeah. <laughs> but. And, yeah, and that's one of the problems, isn't it? And yet other industries, you know, um, architecture is a good example. You know, the builders, certainly there's a big cost in building something, but architects, you know, try and hold that up, hold up the value of the design in the first place as, as proof of concept, you know. But again, it's tangible. You know, you get a building designed for you. The, the metaphor I used, and, and this is over a decade ago, was the automotive industry. You know, the car companies spend an absolute fortune designing and building a prototype, but then they spend a lot of time making sure the production line that then implements that design is made as efficient as possible to produce the highest quality or the suitable quality vehicle as quickly as possible and at the lowest possible cost because that's where they make their margins. Yeah. But they invest heavily in the actual prototype in the first place. Yeah, and and agencies still struggle with, with managing to uh, demonstrate how that adds value to the client's business. And that's what the, the conversation eventually boils down to. What's the value inherent in, in the work that's being done? And... Uh, at, the high value stuff isn't being valued uh, yeah. as, as highly as it could. Well, I think the great fear now with AI is that yes, production, the production line can be automated. And a lot of those production only companies that have stolen that volume from the agencies are doing that. But the other fear is generative AI, you know, what's to stop clients? getting an AI to do it. And to your point, well, but 
depends what they're doing, isn't it? It, it does. I think the, the sweet spot for agencies, creative agencies, and I'm sure we'll get on the meter in a moment, sweet spot for creative agencies is, is the thinking and the idea. And how that ends up, that idea is manifested in different channels, uh, well, that will uh, d- depend on, um, on what the idea is to a certain extent, but also uh, how best to bring that to life. And sometimes it will be technology, generative AI to, to develop that idea into uh, the, the suitable executions to, to go into market. But a lot of times it will still be having teams of producers, teams of designers uh, coming up with the iteration for that particular channel. Now, there's no reason that agencies can't continue to play a part in that, but uh, as I said at the outset, the sweet spot for me is, well, let's charge properly for the thinking and the uh, coming up with the idea because the execution part, the implementation part, um, might not involve us at all, or we might have only limited involvement. So we can't rely on that as being our primary source of income anymore. Mm. It's got to be the leveraging the, the, uh, the people that we have and their intellectual property to the, all the stuff that advertisers generally hire a creative agency for. They don't hire them for the production. That's just a, uh, uh, you, a, a, you need to have that absolutely in whatever form it takes. But agencies get hired based on their thinking and the process to come up with the idea. Well, you'd have to say based on the pitch process, it seems to be mostly around the quality and the calibre of the people and their ability to solve that by coming up with strategic and creative solutions. And yet so much of the negotiation and the time seems to be focused on the downstream. So to your point, you know, let's get the conversation. I think... Isn't that why we need to get agencies and clients to move away from the amount of time it takes and start putting value or output-based pricing in place? Yeah, I'd, it's it's a tough one because you, you said before, what, you asked me what would I do as an agency CFO to, to, to push that conversation. Um, ultimately, I think it's the, the client that's going to end up deciding to go down that route. Now, the agency needs to be able to articulate all the things that we've just said. So you need to pay us properly for the high value stuff that is going to be valuable to your business. It's up to the agency to explain how that works. But the advertiser also needs to be able to understand how that quote unquote high value work is going to contribute to their business in order to be able to accept that Yes, that's I need to for, for for that level of thinking. I need to pay a little bit more, mm. knowing that I'm going to be paying less for the implementation, particularly if it's done um, by technology. So it's a bit of a two way street here. The agencies, I think, need to instigate the conversation, uh, but there also needs to be some onus on the, the marketing team, the uh, clients' advertising team, to. Uh, understand the implications of, of what the agencies uh, are trying to do. Now, it's possibly up to the agencies to, to be educator in that instance, um, but I find also there's a, a, a big lack of understanding of what the value is to the advertiser's business from the, uh, the client team that the agency is, is, is doing for their business. 
So I'm not quite sure exactly how you bridge so, that. So you're saying the buyer is actually in the box seat to actually make the decision, but the seller has the opportunity. And I've just seen that, you know, overseas, there are agencies that go, well, we don't work on retainers anymore or any labour-based. We are a output-based pricing model. And, you know, you define the outputs, the thinking, the size, the value that they represent, we'll put a price on it. Yeah. And then we'll negotiate on that price. But it's very defined around what it is. It seems to me that um, there's, there's issues and questions for both sides in that. Yeah, in many instances, the, uh, the, the client team may not understand exactly what that value is. is. Yeah. How, how do I, how do I uh, explain that to my procurement department? How do I explain that to my CEO? Uh, you put a price against those outputs. Well, that was more than I was paying last time for similar services. Mm. Um, how can I justify that? Trinity P3. Now, there's another area which is that AI is increasing and and, and is increasingly being used to analyse data, right? Uh, and large amounts of data. We've seen uh, the local Australian company um, Mutinex with their uh, Growth OS platform um, is now getting to the point of being able to predict results based on uh, on the inputs. Doesn't that also open up the opportunity of performance-based fees for agencies? Because, you know, one of the uh, big uh, obstacles to this was actually attributing what component of an agency's work was, uh, is, was actually impacting the results. Yeah, absolutely. That's the biggest reason that those conversations often get shut down. Um, you know, it's reasonable for the... If there's... Uh, bonuses to be paid, it's reasonable for the uh, advertiser to expect that the value of their business has been uh, pushed forward mm. by the contribution from the agency. The agencies say, well, there's so many factors outside of our control. Uh, how do we find some, some common ground? The sort of thing that you've decided takes away some uh, of those barriers, mitigates some of that risk. If the, the technology is robust enough to be able to say, if you do this, then your business should do this. And so you can then better apportion the agency's contribution and therefore any, any bonus that they, uh, that they might be due from the, 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 the services they provided. So I think that's an excellent way to, to reopen that conversation that often gets uh, shut down. Yeah, you know, everything from uh, media channel selection to creative execution, you know, would all have an impact on that. Yeah. To actually have an attribution model that gives some, you know, robustness. And, and the robustness appears to come from the huge amount of data sets that uh, an AI can then process and make those predictions in, uh, in performance seems to be uh, opening up an opportunity for advertisers. Yeah, look, and I think that's another conversation. If, if there is technology employed that uh, allows for that more robust attribution, then that's another conversation opener for the agency to discuss with the advertiser or how might we better get paid for the work that we're doing rather than uh, just continuing to focus on the head hours, as, we, as we've already pointed out.
It is um, quite different to the conversation in the past, which a lot of agencies started um, playing with. And you mentioned IP earlier. You know, a lot of agencies started saying, well, we're creating IP that we'll license that to you and you'll pay a license fee, which never really cut it, did it? No, it didn't really work for me. Um, we, I, I, I tried at various times in my career. I can see it from the client's point of view. Is, and the an analogy I like to use is, um, and maybe someone will come up with this, when I buy a toaster, I don't expect to have to pay Black & Decker uh, five cents every time I toast a, a piece of bread. So, um, you know, I've bought that. The intellectual property is inherent in the toaster that I've bought, so I should be able to exploit that. And I can understand the advertisers thinking, well, I've bought that idea and uh, the intellectual property inherent in it, so I should be able to exploit it um, however I want. Um, I'm sure there's mm. contractual reasons. But um, I think that uh, you know, being able to develop those attribution models, talk about outputs and the varying uh, value that an advertiser will place on different outputs and remunerating the agency accordingly are much better solutions than, than trying to get paid for, for intellectual property. I, I think that, that ship has sailed. Yeah, and, and look, yeah, it gets raised every so often, but um, to extend your toaster metaphor or, or perhaps modify it, you know, it's the difference between buying a book, right? Imagine having to then pay for it every time you read it. Yeah. But then from a publisher's point of view, of course, they'd love a model where they license it to people, you know, and so and, and pay the, um, the author who created the IP in the first place a licensing fee, which is what they often do. You know, they'll pay a percentage of sales in some, in some circumstances. Yeah, isn't that how Spotify is supposed to work? The artists will get a portion of... Yes, uh, a very small portion, yeah. but nevertheless <laughs> a portion. No, but it is interesting because, um, you know, I've had this discussion with quite a few uh, advertisers and from their perspective, it's not like an author or a musician who's created this of their own volition, right? Yeah. Um the client actually goes to an agency with a particular problem yes. or opportunity and is commissioning them to create that. So, you know, if, if you go to a gallery to buy a painting, the cost of that painting has nothing to do with the cost of materials or time. It is whatever the value is that you see as the purchaser. But if you went to commission it, then you could negotiate a price mm. based on you commissioning a particular work of art at a fixed price. We've got off the uh, conversation of AI into the world of you know, value, but I think it's an important one. I think so, because ultimately that's where the conversation needs to go when AI is, uh, is, is the, the catalyst for that conversation because uh, the, the, there is going to come a time where the input head hour model is just going to be completely... Um, unrepresentative of, of what the agency's uh, doing uh, or at least the outputs that they're going to be producing and there needs to be another way for the agency to get paid for head hours that aren't being performed. Mm. And look, you know, it's not just advertising. We're seeing in Hollywood, you know, dis, uh, disputes and negotiations around how uh, uh, screenwriters and actors are going to be paid in this new AI world where 
content can be generated from existing content and what does that actually mean in the value proposition for the original uh, content creator. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting one to watch this unfold. But I think advertising's already starting well back from that because at the moment it is a cost-based model largely. For all the talk about value and performance-based, the vast majority, or is it fair to say the vast majority of agreements are still cost-based? The vast majority is still cost-based for, for reasons we've spoken about previously on this podcast. Uh, it's simple to understand from both clients and agencies. It's easily comparable and it's relatively easy to implement. That's important as well. Mm. You know, it, we talk about output-based pricing. There needs to be a, a bit of a, a runway to identify what the outputs are and then negotiate the, the, the value for those outputs. Mm. Whereas if you have a, an hourly rate card and you've got uh, an agency of five people or a team of five people, you know exactly what your fee's gonna be. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, it, very quickly and very easily. So that's the reason that it's still hung on for as long as it has. But you said that agencies have been slow in adopting other methods. I think that this is going to accelerate them trying to, and I know agencies do try and, and get other methods uh, into their contracts. I think this is just going to accelerate those conversations. It'll need to accelerate those conversations because otherwise um, agencies won't be able to put anything on the top line. And uh, to your point, it's going to be up to the clients to be open to having those conversations and understanding how that shifts the cost and value model away from the, the old model. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nick, uh, it's been great having this conversation. Time's got away from us, but uh, it does. really appreciate you uh, coming in and having a chat about the implications that AI is going to have on agency fees. Well, thanks for asking me. Just uh, one issue will be, if agencies truly embrace AI in their operations, does that mean one day we could see a chatbot replacing the finance director? Because after all, all it has to say is no.